This is Rule of Law News Podcast, Episode 3, Why Police Department's Internal Investigative Bureaus or Internal Affairs Bureaus do not and cannot function properly to investigate allegations of police corruption and police misconduct. These are the police departments that have established, promoted, and instituted a blue wall of silence. Officially, Police Department's Internal Affairs Bureaus were created for the purposes of investigating police misconduct and police corruption, but why unofficially do they intentionally refuse to adequately investigate into allegations of police misconduct and police corruption? Why do most of these police internal affairs bureaus fail or refuse to conduct and initiate investigations upon their own initiative, or if they do, decide to self-initiate investigations, they're intentionally inadequately conducted, causing the disposition of the various cases to have predetermined outcomes of being unsubstantiated, therefore preserving the status quo. This protects the offending police departments against municipal liability, and it protects the offending police officers against civil and criminal liabilities, since the investigations are intentionally inadequately investigated. No evidence or insufficient evidence is established so that the disposition of these cases are predetermined to be unsubstantiated, causing the offending police officers to be protected against disciplinary action and sanctions, therefore protecting the reputation of the offending police officers and the offending police departments. When police departments are established, it is their legal duty to establish mechanisms to investigate police corruption and misconduct. The police departments have a legal duty to create, promote, perpetuate, and institute a lawful police corporate culture. This ensures that environmental conditions and influences that will promote the lawful exercise of police authority through enforcement activities to effectively and efficiently reduce crime by deterring criminal behavior. This is by the threat of arrests or by affecting arrest of those committing criminal acts. Police also issue traffic and parking tickets to promote and create peace, which leads to order. This is achieved by regulating citizens' conduct and deterring violations of traffic statutes and issuing traffic tickets to motorists committing traffic infractions. All police enforcement activity must be exercised within the scope of the police officer's authority and law. Police officers have no lawful authority to act beyond the scope of the law or their employment. If he does, he becomes a criminal, since a criminal is one who knowingly violates the law. The police departments legally must recruit and hire an adequate number of employees to prevent breaches of peace and enforce the law. Applicants for employment for the police department must be suitable for employment, fit and meet requirements of the job specifications. The police departments are supposed to conduct adequate investigations into the various applicants' backgrounds, and if suitable for employment, then they hire them. Then police departments are supposed to adequately train the recruits, then swear them in with the oath of office. Then they become police officers. 
Once they are police officers, they are supposed to be assigned to field training officers to be further trained. If the police department has done everything according to the law so far, this will cause the new rookie police officers to act within official departmental policy and law. But there may be times where a violation of policy or law has occurred inadvertently or by accident. This would require intervention by the field training officer for the purpose of instructing and retraining so the offending officers can be guided and directed in accordance with policy and law. If the rookie police officers knowingly, willfully, and intentionally disregard policy or the law, their supervisors are supposed to intervene and ensure corrective actions are taken, such as a verbal reprimand or some other form of disciplinary action that is proportionate to the severity of the offense. This is for the purpose of deterring violators. This will ensure that the police employees will comply with departmental policies and law. If any police continuously refuse to follow policy and the law, they will eventually be terminated for cause. If all these conditions are present and promoted, there will be very few police officers violating official departmental policy and the law. The citizens of the community will trust the police and feel that the police are with them and not against them. There will not be an us-against-them mentality. The law-abiding citizens and police will develop a common bond through the creating common experience core values, beliefs, and attitudes will be developed, causing the law-abiding citizens and the police to be together as one. This means that the law-abiding citizens and the law-abiding police will be working together to deter crime by exposing, detecting, apprehending, and aiding in prosecuting citizens and police officers committing criminality. There will be no need to establish institutionally the blue wall of silence because the atmosphere or culture in the police department is to follow departmental policies and law. Since official lawful departmental policy is the same as the unofficial departmental policy, the chief of police's departmental policies are the same officially and unofficially. Therefore, there are no unlawful aspects of policy such as quotas and unlawful influences to cause police officers to commit unlawful police actions. Police internal affairs bureaus or internal investigative bureaus to investigate police are established, promoted, and perpetuated to investigate police corruption and misconduct. The official stated purpose and function of these investigative bureaus are to investigate allegations of police misconduct and police corruption. When sufficient evidence is established to substantiate citizens' complaints of police corruption, then disciplinary action is supposed to be taken against offending police officers in order to intercede and take corrective action so offending police officers do not repeat the sustained violations. Citizens who believe that they were the victims of improper or unlawful police enforcement activities have the constitutionally protected First Amendment right to petition their police department for redress of grievances. If police officers have committed misconduct or police corruption in which citizens witnessed and or were victims, they can report a citizen's complaint of allegations of police misconduct or police corruption. Citizens and law enforcement officers can make complaints either by phone, email, letter, or an in-person interview to the department's Internal Affairs Bureau or precinct commanding officer or inspector. The severity of the allegations of police corruption and police misconduct that are reported will determine how the police department prioritizes these citizens' complaints. For example, if a police officer 
temporarily detains a citizen on an investigatory stop because the officer has established reasonable suspicion and believes that the citizen committed a crime, then investigates but cannot establish probable cause for a lawful arrest. So he advises the citizen that he's free to go. If the citizen decides to make a report and allege allegations of police misconduct, such as the officer was discourteous, cursed, or committed an improper and unreasonable search or unreasonable seizure to the citizen, then most police departments, internal affairs bureaus, would refer the complaint to the commanding officer or the inspector of the precinct in which the alleged defending police officer is assigned to. The issuance of the complaint to the Internal Affairs Bureau was the initiation of an investigation to occur. A second example would be that this citizen was falsely arrested since probable cause was not established. If this citizen recorded allegations of police corruption and being falsely arrested in his complaint to the police department's Internal Affairs Bureau, these allegations would be investigated primarily by the Internal Affairs Bureau because the allegations are much more severe than just a civilian being treated discourteous or cursed at. Generally, an investigation is initiated upon receiving a citizen's complaint of allegations of police misconduct or police corruption. This occurs when the police department is officially put on notice by the complainant disclosing and recording a complaint. If the Internal Affairs Bureau or the commanding office of the precinct determines that the allegations in the citizen's complaint are not a violation of administrative policy or of law, the complainant is supposed to be contacted and informed of the disposition of his case. The determination would be considered baseless since the subject police officer did not act beyond the scope of his authority or law. Therefore, no violation has occurred. The citizen's complaint would be closed out with a determined disposition of unsubstantiated and unfounded allegations of police misconduct. This act of an ongoing investigation would be terminated upon determination of disposition that is rendered for this case. Training police crews in the police academy to only follow official departmental policy, law, and their oath of office will ensure that after these police recruits graduate the police academy that they will not follow and will refuse to follow any unofficial, unlawful departmental policy that supersedes or are inconsistent with official lawful departmental policies. When police recruits graduate the police academy, it is critical that they are assigned to a field training officer that has and will follow official departmental policies, law, and their oath of office. The field training officers influence and determine whether the new rookie police officers will be oriented in a moral, lawful direction or an immoral, unlawful direction when conducting law enforcement activities. If the field training officer emphasizes that the U.S. Constitution, the state constitutions, supersedes any law administrative policy, statute, regulation, ordinance, code, or policy that is inconsistent with it or contradicts it. For example, if a citizen is filming a government building or a police officer while on public property, pursuant to common law right of inquiry, a police officer can approach the citizen filming and ask him what he's doing. The citizen cannot be lawfully detained by the police officer because there is no reason to believe that a crime was committed and there is no reasonable articulable facts to establish reasonable suspicion. Maybe the police officer believes that the photographer is acting suspicious or he has a hunch that the photographer is or has committed a crime, but these are unsupported beliefs. Being or acting suspicious is not the same legally 
as the legal standard of reasonable suspicion, which is established when the police officer has reasonable articulable facts to legally justify verbally that he has reason to believe that the photographer has or is planning to commit a crime. If the citizen refuses to identify himself and refuses to state his business for filming upon request or demand by the police officer, there is no lawful basis for detaining the citizen. The citizen does not have a legal duty to be cooperative. He has no duty to disclose pursuant to the Fourth and the Fifth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Many corrupt police officers will lie and state in a demanding manner to the person filming that the photographer has to disclose his identity and disclose his purpose for what he's doing. If the photographer photographing knows the law, he will refuse to disclose any information and ask the officer, am I free to leave? Then if the officer does not answer, he will ask him, am I being detained? If the officer says yes, the photographer will ask the police officer, what crime do you suspect me of committing? The police are taught to always be in control. So to reassert control, the police officer will start getting more demanding while repeatedly asking for identification and purpose for photographing, and he may even threaten to or arrest the photographer if he refuses to comply with the uh, responding police officer's unlawful coercive demands. The act of gathering news is activity of the press and is protected by the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. If the police officer threatens to arrest or arrest the photographer for failure to comply with his demand to stop photographing and or for not leaving, he is violating the law and his oath of office and should be fired charged with multiple crimes and then prosecuted. If the police officer is corrupt, he will arrest the photographer and falsely charge him with such crimes as disorderly conduct, resisting arrest, assaulting a police officer, trespassing, obstructing governmental administration, interfering with a police investigation, and there are many other crimes he could choose from. Very rarely will the police officer put in the arrest report that the sole basis for the arrest was for photographing. Since photographing is constitutionally protected activity, and this arrest on its face would be obviously a false arrest, the field sergeant would conspire by directing and guiding the offending police officer to cover up the false arrest by falsifying police reports. So the arrest would look on its face legitimate, documenting and falsifying business records so the false charge or charges appear legitimate is a cover charge. This false charge would make it appear plausible that the arrest was legitimate and protect the offending police officer from criminal liability, civil liability, and disciplinary action. A second example is if a person is handing out political brochures in an airport or a government building in a public area or a common area, not interfering with operations, and the security calls the police. When the responding police officer makes contact with the person and elicits information as to his purpose for disseminating information, and he refuses to be deterred from exercising his constitutionally protected First Amendment right, the police officer must legally not interfere with his constitutionally protected activity because the law statute, rule, code, ordinance, or policy that is inconsistent with the U.S. Constitution and or the state constitution is null and void on its face. If the police officer threatens to arrest him, if he does not leave, or if the police officer arrests him for a criminal trespass for refusing to leave, 
He has committed multiple crimes and has violated his oath of office. Therefore, the offending police officer should be fired, charged with multiple crimes, and prosecuted. The police officer has acted under color of law, or appearance of law, and violated the constitutional rights of the person disseminating political information. If sued, the offending police officer and the police department could be civilly liable under 42 U.S.C. Section 1983. Also, the police officer could be criminally liable pursuant to 18 U.S.C. Section 242 for deprivation of rights under color of law. If two or more police officers are involved in deprivation of rights, they would be criminally liable pursuant to 18 U.S.C. 241, which is conspiracy against civil rights. The police officer swears to an oath of office, which is, I, state your name, do solemnly swear or affirm that I support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservations or purpose of evasion, and that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which I am about to enter, so help me God. This transition from honest lawful police departments to dishonest unlawful police departments is initiated, established, promoted, and institutionalized by government officials that have authority and power to influence the chief policy maker in the police department, such as the chief of police and the sheriff. This is an actual case that was published on a YouTube channel, LRJTV. This video is titled, Exposed Police Chief Pushes Ticket Quotas, in which Mayor of Bethel Heights, Arkansas, encouraged, instructed, and demanded that the chief of police, Don McKinnon, of Bethel Heights Police Department, institute illegal quotas for arrest and traffic tickets. An honest Bethel Heights PD police officer, Timothy Brazil, audio recorded his chief of police instructing, directing, guiding, and strongly requesting or demanding that traffic ticket quotas and arrest quotas be met by any means necessary, even if his police officers have to commit police misconduct, police corruption, or commit violations of the law. The chief of police is quoted on surreptitious audio recordings while talking to the police officer, Timothy Brazil, as stating, We've got to do something with this traffic. The numbers are way, way low. You only get these numbers. He is referring to numerical quotas. If you're doing traffic stops, the chief of police also stated how he uses unlawful methods for performing traffic stops, etc. He is quoted as saying, If I've seen a vehicle, I could always find some reason to stop him. Even if I made them do something stupid, the chief of police is referring to unlawfully provoking a motorist to react in a manner to cause the appearance of reasonable suspicion to be established so the chief can perform the traffic stop and issue traffic tickets or even make arrest. He's also quoted as stating, I want to stop that car load of dumb shits in the car. I want to stop it, but they are not going to do anything wrong. Hell, I'll get behind or the other lane and I'd start crowding them. Kind of dirty pool, but I got two or three arrests out of it. Bethel Heights Police Officer Timothy Brazil disclosed the audio recordings to the media, the county prosecutor, and the mayor, Jeff Hutchison. Then the media interviewed the mayor, and he publicly stated, It is an internal matter, and that's what we are saying at this point. 
The mayor hopes a resolution will come soon, and the county prosecutor sent the audio recordings to the sheriff's office, but the sheriff stated that the details in the audio recording are too slim to investigate because there are no named victims and no dates of wrongdoing. The reason why the mayor stated that it is an internal matter when being interviewed by the media is that he caused the unlawful conditions to influence the chief of police to establish unlawful unofficial departmental policies that superseded portions of lawful official departmental policies that hindered, obstructed, and prevented the implementation of an illegal numerical quota system for traffic tickets and arrest. These ticket quotas were all about unlawfully extracting fines through robbery by corrupt revenue enforcement police officers. Robbery is defined as taking the property of another with the intent to permanently deprive the person of that property by means of force or the threat of the use of force. Also, the mayor created the legal conditions in which the chief of police established illegal arrest quotas, which most definitely led to false arrest, kidnapping, abusive process, civil rights violations, etc., which means that the various offending police officers, the chief of police and the mayor, are criminally culpable and civilly culpable for committing or causing the various violations to occur. These illegal quotas implicate municipal liability also. The county prosecutor turned the case of allegations of police misconduct and even police corruption, along with the audio recordings, over to the local sheriff's office for investigation. The sheriff's office said the details are too slim to investigate. There are no named victims and no dates of wrongdoing. If the sheriff wanted to substantiate the allegations of the corruption caused by or are being committed by the mayor, the chief of police, who is the chief policymaker of the police department and the various offending police officers, the sheriff would have to interview and interrogate the chief of police about his unofficial unlawful policies which lead to a pattern and practice of unlawful police action as a result of establishing these quotas. The sheriff would need to obtain dash cam and body-worn camera video recordings of the traffic stops and arrest. Also, the sheriff would obtain performance records of police personnel to determine what the minimum number of traffic tickets were issued before a police officer was disciplined. This would establish the department's minimum ticket requirement or quota. Also, what was the minimum number of arrests allowed without disciplinary action being taken? The criminals in this case are the mayor, chief of police, defending police officers, the county prosecutor, and the county sheriff. They're all conspiring to commit criminal acts and conspiring to cover up many different violations of law, civil and criminal. This is why the mayor stated to the public that this is an internal matter, because if the sheriff would have broadened the scope and increased the depth of the investigation so it was adequately investigated, all of these politicians would be charged, arrested, and prosecuted for conspiring to cover up and commit multiple crimes when the governor, mayor, county executive, or sheriff, etc., exerts extensive influence and control in the direction that emphasizes being practical, efficient, expedient, necessary, and by any means necessary, even if it is contrary to law. These newly established expectations and influences cause sheriffs and chiefs of police to disregard portions of their official lawful departmental policy and establish, promote, and perpetuate unofficial, unlawful departmental policies 
that are either unlawful on its face or as applied the portions of official lawful departmental policy that interfere or hinder the implementation of the unlawful agenda of the sheriff or chief of police influenced by the governor, mayor, or county executive. For example, if the mayor wants to get reelected, he decides it's beneficial and necessary to become obsessed with crime prevention and the public's perception of crime. If his chief of police is acting lawfully while fighting crime but not causing crime to be reduced to the mayor's satisfaction, the mayor then decides that promoting crime-fighting measures that are within the scope of the law are unnecessarily hindering the reduction of crime and the perception of declining crime being low enough. So the mayor exerts undue influence and the chief of police changes his strategy from lawful crime-fighting policies and lawful crime-fighting measures and starts to fight crime in a manner that is practical, necessary, expedient, and even in violation of law. Now these police departments begin to establish, promote, and perpetuate two sets of departmental policies, one for the public, which is official, lawful departmental policies, and one for achieving the new, unofficial, unlawful departmental policies to support and promote the illegally created new departmental agenda, which is unofficial, unlawful departmental policy for crime prevention and enforcement of laws. If the mayor is campaigning for re-election and wants to bribe constituents to vote for him, he can invent ways to increase revenue so he can increase welfare and social services. This is achieved by stealing and extracting money from the working class people by issuing more traffic than parking tickets, which will increase revenue for the mayor to cause increases in revenue, which will exert undue influence on the chief of police and cause him to change portions of official lawful departmental policies that interfere with and prevent the maximization of revenue from the issuance of traffic and parking tickets. The new influence will cause the police department to create ticket quotas, which will cause changes in portions of the official lawful departmental policies and become superseded by portions of the newly created unofficial unlawful departmental policies. The mayor's obsession with getting re-elected causes expectations of unlawful police action and influences the chief of police to create quotas for investigatory stops such as stop, question, and frisk and arrest quotas. This newly created influence will cause the chief of police to change portions of the official lawful departmental policies that hinders and interferes with maximizing the initiating of investigatory stops by police officers and maximizing the number of arrests made by police officers as a result of creating and enforcing quotas. This creation of numerical quotas causes portions of official lawful departmental policies to be superseded by newly created portions of unofficial, unlawful departmental policies. The police department will follow the official lawful departmental policies only when it does not hinder the departments from achieving the promotion of its illegal agenda through the use of quotas. Arrest quotas will directly cause many citizens to be improperly and unlawfully arrested, even though no crime was committed and no probable cause was established. In other words, the police department will try to adhere to portions of 
the unofficial, unlawful policy only when necessary to promote its illegal agenda, but they will not let the public know about the discrepancies because these discrepancies reveal their intentions and motives, which are that police departments and their police and civilian employees are intentionally, willingly, knowingly, and with deliberative indifference violating various laws continuously for gain or profit. These newly established quotas are the significant influences to maximize revenue from the issuance of traffic and parking tickets. Quotas are used to maximize police enforcement activities and cause proactive policing to occur for initiating investigatory stops and making arrests, which significantly influences and causes police officers to violate the law departmental policy and their oath of office. But if there is no numerical quotas, these same police officers would not have committed such violations. When the police officers do not satisfy requirements of their various quotas in our discipline, this cues or signals that disciplinary action will be taken against non-complying police officers who do not meet numerical quotas. The severity of the punishment or sanctions from the police department for not satisfying numerical quotas will determine the level of compliance for meeting quotas. If the police officers that are underperforming because they are not meeting quota requirements are disciplined multiple times, this could allow the police department to establish cause for eventually terminating the underperforming police officers for not meeting quotas. This fear of termination will cause most police officers to satisfy quotas in any manner they can, lawfully or unlawfully. Police officers that are not able to lawfully issue a sufficient amount of traffic and parking tickets will start to unlawfully issue bogus tickets to satisfy quotas since they have not noticed a sufficient amount of traffic and parking infractions to lawfully issue the numerical requirements of the quotas. When police officers observe citizens acting in a manner that establishes reasonable suspicion, they can lawfully detain the very citizens for an investigatory stop to ascertain whether a crime is afoot or has been committed. But what if there is not a sufficient number of citizens whose behavior establishes reasonable suspicion for the purpose of performing investigatory stops? This means that the police officers will be coerced, threatened, and required to unlawfully perform investigatory stops without satisfying the reasonable suspicion legal standard for lawfully detaining a person. This is because they must satisfy the department's investigatory stop quotas. Police departments that have quotas to establish minimum levels of proactive enforcement activities emphasize numerical quotas and de-emphasize qualitative quotas. These numerical quotas create conditions and situations where police officers feel a sense of urgency, desperation, dread, and fear of not satisfying quotas. This causes them to prioritize numerical quotas over exercising any in-depth law enforcement activities such as prolonged investigations for the purpose of detecting complex crimes while establishing sufficient evidence for arrest and in aiding the district attorney's office in prosecuting these various cases. This is because police officers are primarily worried about numbers based on quotas and their priorities are not primary on crime prevention since the police officer only focuses on satisfying these quotas. This influences and causes them to have impaired judgment, leading to the abuse of discretion when issuing traffic and parking tickets, when initiating investigatory stops, 
and when making arrests where not legally warranted. This is the reason why about 90% of police officers will violate official lawful departmental policy and violate the law knowingly, willingly, intentionally, and with deliberative indifference to the law and citizens' constitutionally protected rights. These police officers violate their oath of office on their routine preventive patrols or while assigned to specialized divisions or details while on their daily tours of duty. Police Internal Affairs Bureaus and their investigators are not authorized and are discouraged from taking seriously citizens' complaints of allegations of police misconduct or police corruption. Those who make legitimate complaints about being victims of unlawful police action, such as police misconduct and police corruption, such as being issued bogus traffic tickets or bogus parking tickets, or being unlawfully detained as a result of an investigatory stop without reasonable suspicion, or being unlawfully arrested without satisfying the probable cause standard. How can police internal affairs bureaus, investigators, initiate an investigation or even an adequately investigate the allegations in the various citizens' complaints when most of the various allegations would be substantiated, corroborated, or even proven to be true? Why would the Police Internal Affairs Bureau's investigators adequately investigate defending police officers in the departments with illegal quotas and influences? Defending police officers are just reacting to influences and doing their job in quotes. According to unofficial unlawful departmental policies and quotas. The police departments are promoting and condoning unlawful police action because they are deriving many benefits from these unlawful police practices, such as increased revenue, the public's perception of reduction in crime, or an actual reduction in crime, and maybe even more or larger federal grants for crime prevention. Why would police internal affairs bureaus substantiate or prove the allegations in the very citizens' complaints. If the police internal affairs bureaus substantiated all allegations in complaints that were provable and they rendered a disposition of substantiated, this would establish and create an official record that the offending police officers were found guilty of following portions of the police department's unofficial, unlawful policies, which are quotas. This is why these police internal affairs bureaus are unofficially not for the primary purpose of investigating police misconduct or police corruption. And in truth, they are nothing but a public relations bureau. But officially to the public, the internal affairs bureaus are perceived to be an investigative entity with the purpose and authority to investigate citizens' complaints of allegations of police misconduct and police corruption. Also, the internal affairs investigators are supposed to self-initiate investigations into police actions that appear to be on the border of violating departmental policies and law. This does not happen and is a lie. In reality, the investigative entity is defined by how it actually functions and its real purpose, and not the officially and publicly stated reason, which is a misrepresentation and is fraudulent. These are some of the methods that police internal affairs bureaus use to discourage, limit, frustrate, or prevent citizens from making complaints of allegations of police corruption and police misconduct. If a citizen calls to make a complaint, the internal affairs agent may disconnect the call several times and then allow your call to go to voice message. And when you leave a message for them to call you back, they may call you back after many days of waiting or not call you back at all. The internal affairs 
investigator may try to rush you off the phone. He may overtalk you and interrupt you many times to break your train of thought to confuse you so you forget to disclose relevant material and competent information or evidence. Also, this is done to frustrate and discourage you from making a complaint because a complainant with little motivation will decide not to make a complaint since it requires too much effort. Also, they may lie to the complainant and say that the allegations are insignificant and not relevant because the complaint about police officer has not violated the law or departmental policy even though he has committed violations. Also, when the citizen attempts to make a complaint, the internal affairs could tell the complainant that he could be arrested for making a false report, or as the allegations are being disclosed, the investigator intentionally failed to adequately document pertinent information. This is done for the purposes of not establishing leads and not adequately establishing evidence to prove alleged violations. Internal affairs bureaus may falsify documents by intentionally inaccurately paraphrasing instead of quoting verbatim essential fact, or they may lie and say that the complaint stated something it did not. This is why it is necessary to request that the internal affairs investigator read back the complainant what verbatim the investigator documented and not allow him to state what you said in a paraphrase. Also, investigators will try to intentionally limit the depth and the scope of the investigation pertaining to allegations in the complaint of the complainant. The depth and the scope of the investigation is determined by the extent of evidence and whether it implicates top officials or that the scope is widened because then the evidence could implicate all the precinct or the boroughs, etc. If the depth of the investigation is not intentionally limited and these allegations implicate top brass and maybe the mayor, they could be exposed. Also, if the scope of the investigation is not intentionally limited and the allegations implicate many police officers, this could reveal a pattern in practice in all police precincts in the subject police department. The Internal Affairs Bureau sometimes refuses to take complaints. If the Internal Affairs takes a complaint, it does not mean that they are serious about investigating police misconduct and corruption. They will usually give it the appearance that cases were and are adequately investigated, even though they were not, and the disposition of these cases would be predetermined to be unsubstantiated or unfounded, since they do not want to implicate the offending police departments and the offending police officers for following unofficial, unlawful departmental policies in order to satisfy unlawful quotas. After a complaint is made, they may tell you not to call them, and they will call you if they need any more information, and they will never get back to you, and they will never get back to the complainant to disclose the disposition of the case. This is why in New York, police personnel records, including disciplinary actions taken against any offending police officers, are not available for public inspection. New York Civil Rights Law 50A bars disclosure of police personnel records to the public. The official stated reason creating this law was to prevent disclosure of unverified and unsubstantiated civilian complaints. It was not to prevent disclosure of substantiated civilian complaints, but the real unofficial purpose is to shroud evidence of police misconduct from the public. The New York State Committee on Open Government in its annual report stated that police misconduct in New York State is more secretive than in any other state in the nation, and without transparency, officers are less accountable to the community they serve. No other state in the country 
hides police misconduct from the public like New York. This is quoted from Phil Desgrains, chair of the City Bar's Civil Rights Committee. Civil Rights Law 50A has become a means to shield officers from public accountability and it impedes racial justice. The legislature should repeal it so New York can catch up with other states that prioritize accountability and public trust over secrecy, end quote. If New York State Civil Rights Law 50A were repealed, there would be major repercussions for New York's offending police departments and offending police officers. Any citizen's complaint of allegations of police misconduct and police corruption, which were substantiated, could put the offending police officer's job in jeopardy, especially if the substantiated allegations undermine the offending police officer's credibility, which would cause their character to be impeached in court under discovery. These police officers would have to be put permanently on modified duty and be assigned a desk job because if they were out enforcing laws and making arrests, at trial the prosecutor would not be able to get any convictions with these problem officers since they have tainted disciplinary histories. New York's public officer law has established safeguards in place which prevents only New York police personnel records from being disclosed when they constitute an unwarranted invasion of, of personal privacy are compiled for law enforcement purposes or endanger the life or safety of any person amongst other circumstances. If all allegations from citizens' complaints, including unverified and unsubstantiated allegations, were disclosable, this would expose why internal affairs bureaus intentionally inadequately investigates and comes to a predetermined conclusion in 95% of dispositions in cases of alleged police corruption that are intentionally not verified so the conclusion would be unsubstantiated. This disposition presently makes all of these cases of police corruption non-disclosable under New York State Civil Rights Law 50A and New York State freedom of information law. How can police internal affairs bureaus, whose police departments have unofficial, unlawful departmental policies and illegal quotas, oversee and investigate their own police departments and its offending police officers? These internal affairs bureaus investigators are employed by the same police department and their chief policymaker are either the chief of police or the sheriff. These chief policymakers created, promoted, perpetuated, and instituted unofficial, unlawful police departmental policies leading to unlawful pattern of police practices resulting in illegal quotas. These unlawful policies created the conditions that influenced the police officers to violate the law to satisfy quotas out of fear of being terminated. If these facts and findings were to be revealed publicly, this would implicate the various police departments and their police internal affairs bureaus in municipal liability in violations of law such as continuing criminal enterprise, the RICO Act, civil and criminal, false arrest, falsifying business records or police reports, tampering with evidence, tampering with witnesses, kidnapping, unlawful searches and unlawful seizures or detainment and various violations of other laws go on and on. If the police internal affairs bureaus 
adequately investigated allegations of police misconduct and police corruption that would substantiate many more citizens' complaints of allegations of unlawful police practices and violations of official lawful departmental policies. If a citizen's complaint of allegations of police corruption and violations of law was substantiated, the disposition of the case would indicate that the offending police officer was guilty of criminality. Then the Police Internal Affairs Bureau would have a legal duty to refer the case for prosecution to the DA's Public Corruption Division, since the offending police officer committed a crime. If a citizen makes a complaint and the disposition is substantiated pertaining to allegations of police misconduct, the Internal Affairs could refer the case to the Department for the Administrative Trial and then render a decision, which would lead to disciplinary action. If a citizen makes a complaint and the allegations were substantiated that the police officer committed a minor infraction of policy, this determination could be disclosed to offending police officers supervisor for disciplinary action. In conclusion, why would the police internal affairs bureaus want to investigate any complaint adequately to verify and prove the allegations in the civilian's complaint because the chief policymaker, the chief of police, created the conditions to cause 90% of the police officers to act beyond the scope of their authority and violate many laws. If the police internal affairs adequately investigated and substantiated the allegations and severely punished the offending police officers, why would police officers meet or satisfy any of the quotas? Since police officers would be fearful that the citizens would make a complaint against the offending police officers for unlawful police practices, and that the disposition of the investigation would be substantiated, causing disciplinary action to be taken against the offending police officer. Police internal affairs bureaus are not going to discourage and condition police officers not to meet quotas since the chief of police established, promoted, and instituted the unofficial, unlawful departmental policies that encouraged, influenced, and caused the offending police officers to violate the law for the purpose of satisfying the various quotas, if the internal affairs investigators decided to adequately investigate and adequately discipline offending police officers, internal affairs investigators would be threatened with disciplinary action and eventually terminated for cause because the chief of police is their supervisor and the chief policymaker of the department, and he has the last word about whether the police department follows or violates the law. When the chief policymaker, such as the chief of police or the sheriff of the police department, establishes unofficial, unlawful departmental policies, which supersedes portions of official, lawful departmental policies, whether it be for quotas or any other unlawful purposes, these newly established influences from the unofficial, unlawful portions of policies cause there to be a need to shield unlawful police action with the creation of the blue wall of silence. This blue wall of silence is the creation of the police department's chief of police or sheriff. If official lawful policy is the same as unofficial policy and the official lawful policy is adequately enforced, there is no need to create a blue wall of silence because the police are following official lawful policy. There are no institutionalized corrupt police practices to shield from the public view. So there will be no blue wall of silence. These police officers will not be living a hypocritical and double life.